after the Hebrew people are delivered from their bondage in Egypt through the Exodus, they begin the long journey to the promised land. And they spend a number of years wandering in the wilderness. During this time, they move from just escaping to having to form a lasting community that will sustain them in their journey until they get to the promised land. Our story from Numbers chapter 11 for today speaks of how they moved from simply escaping to living in the wilderness. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. This story of Moses and the freelance prophets has got to be a Presbyterian minister's worst nightmare. Moses has organized the elders in a company of 70. It's a pretty large session trained them and assembled them to receive spiritual direction. And then two freelance elders, guys who skipped out on the officer training, receive a double dose of the Spirit and go around doing God's work. Whatever happened to doing things decently and in order? Joshua, Moses' right-hand man, reports to Moses what was going on, expecting Moses to lay down the law and straighten out these two self-appointed but spirit-led elders. But Moses goes with the flow and extends his blessing to their work. He did not see them as his rivals or as a threat to the 70 appointed leaders. He saw them as compliments to what he was doing. Heck, Moses said, I'm overworked, aren't you too? Let them at it. Let them at it. Go where the Spirit leads you. That's the side of Pentecost we don't hear too much of. That is, unless you're a Pentecostal. 
Pentecost for Presbyterians is about the founding of the church. Pentecost is about the Spirit's founding of the church. Pentecost is about the Spirit working through the structure of the church. We Presbyterians celebrate the Spirit working through the church part. We Presbyterians tolerate the Spirit blowing free part. Well, maybe it's time we got a life. Time we followed Moses' lead a little more closely than we do John Calvin's edict to always do things decently and in order. Maybe it's time for a less structure and more spirit. Now, that's a hard sell for many of us. (laughs) Most of us are products of that generation of the church that is passing away. The church of the recent past that was heavy on structure and light on spirit. Presbyterians like our Methodist and Lutheran and Episcopalian and Baptist friends all built big church structures in the 1950s, big buildings and big national and regional and presbytery offices filled with conscientious and faithful church bureaucrats, church structures which served us well, Structures that many of us would love to have them keep serving as well. But such church structures are fading away. As the song says, these times, they are a changing. And the change that is coming is a generation of the church more concerned with the spirit than the structure of the church. Now, I don't think the Spirit is leading us to abandon structure. I do think it just may be the Spirit is leading us to rethink how much and what kind of structures we need. And if the church, our church, is struggling a bit to thrive in our day, maybe all we need is an fusion of the Spirit. An infusion of the Spirit, though, requires us to finally put to rest those eight deadly words that too many congregations have long lived by. We have never done it that way before. An infusion of the Spirit is a call to dare to try some new things. Maybe even try and think out of the box now and then. The Gospels portray Jesus as a man of spirit who was in constant dialogue with spirit and structure. When the structures of the religious establishment threatened to squelch the spirit, Jesus came down on the spirit side. For example, one Sabbath day, Jesus happened upon someone who needed to be healed. Jesus immediately responded to that human need and was criticized for working on the Sabbath in violation of the Ten Commandments. Jesus believed the Sabbath was holy and that we should rest on the Sabbath. Jesus also believed the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Score one for the Spirit. On another day, 
A rich and powerful young man asked Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, Keep the commandments. Follow the structure. The man said, Which ones? Jesus said, That's easy. All of them. The man said, Well, great, because I've kept all of the commandments. Jesus said, well, in that case, do one more thing. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the young man walked away because he had many possessions. Sadly, score one for structure. Spirit and structure. It's not as if one is always the right response to every situation. Spirit and structure The trick is to know which is the right response to the particular need you are facing. As we read and heard in Acts, that ancient Pentecost day, the day of the founding of the church, was a victory of spirit over structure. God's Holy Spirit entered the followers of Jesus and swept through the crowds, hearing the new preaching of Jesus, and spontaneously thousands joined the Jesus movement. The Spirit broke through resistance to the new thing God was doing in Jesus, and the new creation of the church was born. And the next day, the conversations were How are we going to keep this movement going? Pretty soon, the burgeoning First Church of Jerusalem elected the first deacons, the first church officers. The church embraced spirit and structure. All organizations need a balance between structure and spirit. Whenever an organization or church becomes so concerned with maintaining its structure that it loses sight of its spirit, its reason for being, that organization is not long for this world. A service club that becomes so obsessed with the needs of its members that it fails to do any service in the community ceases to be a service club, and it dies The purpose of structure is to support the spirit. A church that fears for its life loses its life. Why do we have Sunday schools and choirs and circles, fellowship dinners, and all the other wonderful activities and structures of the church for only one reason, to spread the spirit A church obsessed with questions like, how are we going to keep things going? Or, how will we ever raise enough money? Is a church that has become all structure and no spirit. For the church, every church is called to embody the spirit, to live through the spirit, to respond to the spirit of God Whenever God calls, wherever God calls, whomever 
God calls. I'm a firm believer that without the structures of the church, we cannot fulfill our mission as a church. I'm also a firm believer we need to remember that the Spirit came first and the structures came later. That ought to tell us something about which is the more important. Balancing spirit and structure is essential to life. Mr. Jones, my 10th grade biology teacher, would be so proud that I can still remember what he taught us about cells, the building blocks of life. Cells are surrounded by semi-permeable membranes that both connect them and separate them from the cells around them. Every living cell needs to be differentiated from the cells next to it. So each cell has a membrane that holds all that good stuff like RNA and DNA inside of it. But the wall that surrounds and protects the cell also has to allow nutrients to enter the cell. Our cells need to receive water and nourishment flowing in and send waste flowing out. That's the semi-permeable part. If a cell's membrane wall becomes too brittle, it dies. If a cell's membrane wall becomes too permeable, it dies. A cell lives as long as it is both separate from and connected to other cells. Cells, every cell in our bodies needs spirit and structure. And so do we. If we become too rigid in our relationships or our faith or in our views about life and work, if every new idea by definition is a bad idea, and if we react to every new opportunity as a threat, our very lives are at risk. So also, if we are too flexible so that we blow with every wind, we endanger ourselves. If in our faith and values we don't stand up for something, we stand for nothing. But if we find the way to balance spirit and structure, we also find the way to bountiful and meaningful life. I keep thinking about old Moses and those two upstart spirit-filled elders and how it is that a man who lived by the law could go so easy on a couple of guys clearly violating his own rules. And the best I can come up with is that Moses was able to see through the violation of the rules and recognize the beautiful gifts those two men were sharing with the people. Seeing through the structure to enjoy a fresh blowing of God's spirit. Maybe that's what wisdom is. Maybe that is what faith is. Maybe that is what life is all about. One of my favorite old stories is about a famous monastery that had fallen on hard times. 
People no longer flock there for prayer like they used to in the good old days. And men no longer sought the solitary life of prayer that the monastery offered. Only a few of the old monks remained. And they didn't know how they could go on. Nearby, an old rabbi lived in a simple hut. The monks respected and revered their Jewish brother. One day, the abbot went to visit the rabbi. And he poured out his heart to him. The two men embraced, and then with tearful eyes, they sat together in silence. At long last, the rabbi spoke. My friend, you and your brothers are serving God with heavy hearts. You've come to ask me for a teaching, and I will give you a teaching But you can only repeat it once. After that, no one may ever say it aloud again. Here it is. The Messiah is among you. The next day, the abbot shared the rabbi's word with his brothers. One of us is the Messiah. The monks were startled and asked themselves, what could this mean? Is it Brother John? Is it me? As time went by, the monks began to treat one another with a very special reverence. There was a gentle, wholehearted human quality about them now, which was hard to describe. They lived with one another as men who had finally found something truly worthwhile. Caring for one another. Sharing each other's burdens. And once again, people came from far and wide to be nourished by the spirituality of the monks. The monks not only found a way to go on. They flourished. Friends, I don't know if the Messiah is among us. I don't even know if the Messiah is coming to you all. But for sure, God's Spirit is blowing among us. Feel it. Respond to it. Live into it. And the Spirit of the living God Amen.